What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday, I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry, where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go. Coming up next on the Halftime Snacks is the man leading the disruption and innovation of the sponsorships market. He snacks with us today from Toronto, Canada, and he's here to discuss many topics with us related to sponsorship effectiveness, return on investment, and so much more. He's the CEO and co-founder at Sponsor Pulse, a first-of-its-kind sponsorship intelligence tool that makes sponsorship insights accessible to properties, brands, and agencies of all sizes. The best part about this platform is that it can serve brands from several industries, from sports to music, entertainment, causes, and more. Sponsor pools will give you the data you need to understand the reach and potential impact of any property. I'm excited to get the chance to share the mic with him. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Adam Mitchell. Thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Man, for sure. Let's kick it off with a fun icebreaker, man. What is your favorite TV show of all times? A favorite TV show of all time, I think, has to be The Newsroom. Um, really got me. Oh, yeah? Some, some of those episodes even got me uh, tearing up. But a okay. big fan of The Newsroom, bringing in <laughs> real-life events. It was, uh, it, was, it was a good one. I still watch it to this day. Man, I've never seen it. I, it's the first time I ever heard, heard of it. So I, I, must, <laughs> I must be doing something wrong because I don't know. You'll have to give it a try. You'll have to give it a try. It's, it's worth the, it's worth, uh, it's worth watching. Is it, it on sure. Netflix, man? I've never seen it. Like, what the, what's going on? Are you kidding me? Is, Honestly, is, is I don't even a, know. Oh. I don't even know where it is. But you definitely got to check it out. It's, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to check it out. You guys check that out as well. Um, Adam, man, happy to have you on the show finally. Uh, we're going to be discussing so many things about sponsor polls and about you and your story and your work and everything you've been doing for, for sponsor, uh, sponsor polls since the beginning. But let's, let's go and, and first understand who are you? Okay, who's, who's the one uh, sharing the mic with us today? Who's Adam Mitchell? And to be more specific, let's talk about some experiences or some things from your past. If you want to mention conversations or people from your past that influenced you in a specific way that drove you to sponsor pools and that also gave you an edge as the CEO and as the one, you know, driving the company today and in the future. What are some experiences, conversations, people from the past that drove you to who you are today? Yeah, no, it's a great, uh, <clears throat> a great question. I think, you know, the start of my career, uh, I started on the brand side. I worked over at, um, at Kraft Foods when it was still Kraft Foods uh, and worked uh, then at Labatt. Uh, and I think I was surrounded by some of the best marketers I've ever met, some of the best people I've ever met. And a lot of them I'm still uh, close with today. And uh, I mean, sponsorship at that time was always a big part of our connection planning and how we wanted to get our brands into the hands, uh, into the minds and hearts of of consumers. And I think that was my first exposure, um, at least as a marketer into, you know, how we would go about doing that. I think working at Labatt on some of those major, you know, global brands and local brands and 
uh, all the different ways that we can integrate the product and the product story into uh, different properties, whether that was sport, music, uh, even in, on the causal side of things, we're certainly foundational to, uh, to one, or one of the foundations to you know, where I've landed today. And then uh, I went from there and joined the uh, property side and worked at the public pro- broadcaster here in Canada, CBC, Heads uh, of Canada. And, uh, and did partnership sales and marketing where, you know, I was surrounded by an amazing team of people uh, working on, you know, such a, a prestigious uh, property uh, with so much national pride. Um, and, uh, and I think that was a, another great experience, but, but seeing it from the other side and, and really looking at, you know, how we could build partnerships uh, that would uh, allow brands to capitalize on the, the Olympic movement. Uh, and really, those those experiences led me to, I think, where we are today, and uh, and working on bringing sponsor pulse to life. I think there's a lot of major pain points that exist in uh, in the sponsorship space and the sponsorship industry, which makes sense given all the growth that we're seeing there. Uh, and you know, we're on the uh, we're on the journey, and I think on the path to trying to alleviate some of those major pain points that exist, and and uh, creating a product that will uh, that will hopefully evolve the way that the uh, sponsorship industry works overall. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get into all of those pain points uh, in, in a second. But uh, before that, I want to just make sure that the listeners understand what Sponsor Pulse is. So if you want to just give us a little bit of an overview of what what the product really is or the service, because I know that you guys offer specific types of services. So in a nutshell, if I if I was five years old, Explain to me what sponsor uh, sponsor pulse is. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so sponsor pulse is a SaaS platform. Not that a five year old would know what a SaaS platform is, but <laughs> it is a uh, it is a, a platform that provides brands, properties, and agencies, whether you're buying or selling or somewhere in the middle, with the insights that you need to make better decisions. So we're all about simplifying the decisions that you're making. If you're buying a property, if you're selling your property, we provide the data in a credible, transparent way um, that you uh, that you can obviously leverage to your advantage to make that process more efficient, more informed, and to make sure that your dollars are working for you uh, as hard as they possibly can, or that you're you know driving the most revenue possible for your uh, for your property um, in uh, in the space. Wow, man, this this five year old is now a genius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot to ask a five year old to understand all of that. But. Yeah, <laughs> but first of all, let's define exactly what a property is because it's not really an organization, but it's not really also an event, and it's not even also a team. So, how would you define or explain, also again to a five year old, a genius five, an Einstein five year old, <laughs> what a property really means? Yeah, from from our perspective, and I think it's a really important part of our business, uh, is that, you know, across all passion points, there are organizations that you can sponsor, whether that's a sport league team tournament, whether it's a music show or an award show, whether it's an entertainment property, a community event, or a charity or a cause. Uh, and our, our goal through our product and, and everything that we do is to create a level playing field for all of those different types of properties. So like we use the word property because it is, you know, in a lot of ways synonymous with the sports world, but, um, but it really is a lot broader than that because we capture uh, and measure, you know, thousands of properties around the world that certainly go well beyond the world of sport. Are athletes considered properties as well? So we do uh, we do have uh, a product that looks at celebrities and influencers and athletes, but they're not uh, they're not considered properties 
uh, I think for a lot of reasons. I mean, it wouldn't be right to call them properties for one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, we look at properties in terms of these organizations that execute and run different types of events or offer, um, you know, something to uh, to consumers, to people around the world to uh, to engage with. Interesting. Okay. And so let's talk about the methodology. Yeah. Um, I did some research and I figured that you, what you guys do is you basically go out and interview like thousands of people and you measure, um, you ask them about specific properties, as you mentioned, and then try to look for uh, specific key points and metrics that you, you are looking to evaluate. So I have a lot of questions of that on that, <laughs> yeah. but if you want to just maybe also explain real quick, how, how do we how do exactly it? Do you go ahead? Yeah, about finding all these people and then um, creating those questionnaires uh, or or, uh, or uh, yeah interviews or how how you go about quantifying the answers. Just just speak a little bit about the process of doing that. Yeah, that's uh, a great uh, foundational point. So I mean, a lot of our journey started in, in essentially developing a questionnaire that would work across all the different passion points, all the different types of properties that we were just talking to because. You know, a big thing that we talk about and that we hear so often in the world of sport in particular is we hear about fans and fandom. We believe in fans. We believe in fandom. There's no question about that. But when you're creating a common currency and you're leveling the playing field across music, entertainment, lifestyle, cause, fans isn't necessarily something that makes a ton of sense. Um, and the reality, too, is that in just about every boardroom that we've ever been in, in any conversation that we've had, if we asked everybody around the table to define what fan a fan means or what it looks like to them, you're almost always going to get different answers. So, uh, so we essentially set out to create a methodology, a questionnaire that would allow us to measure all these different properties along one common ruler so that we can provide instant context to just how big or how great or how significant an opportunity is next to, to another. Um, so we're in field every single month across 18 countries, uh, serving over 30,000 people. Uh, and those are different 30,000 people every single month so that we're constantly replenishing and keeping a pulse on the industry and what's happening. What that allows us to do is to add new properties when new things are coming up, to add categories like cryptocurrency or cannabis or whatever it may be as those things are coming up. So we're super responsive and reactive to what's happening around us, which keeps us relevant and ensures that we have the latest and greatest data on how these properties are performing. Um, so we're infield every month. Uh, we aggregate that data. The questionnaire is really obviously what, what guides the, the metrics and the key metrics that allow us to evaluate any property. We look at it threefold. There's a behavioral component. Do you have reach? Do you have an audience? How often are they engaging with you? Are you growing? an emotional component, which is, are you passionate or are you excited about the property? And then an impact component, which really gets down to, to the heart of it for brands is, you know, are you likely to purchase or to be more favorable towards brands that are sponsoring these properties? Um, and so we've tried to distill it down to seven key metrics. We roll those up into an opportunity score, which is essentially a, a simplified way of, you know, you want one number to compare different, uh, different properties or opportunities. No problem. That's what you use. Uh, and of course, because of our methodology, we can get into so many different filters and consumer profiles to look at brand behaviors, category behaviors, demographics, going from global all the way down to local to see how that uh, landscape uh, changes, uh, which is really quite, uh, quite interesting and uh, gives, I think, us a, a lot to work with and a lot to, uh, to dig into. So this is the moment where I start challenging you, Adam. Don't feel attacked. Okay, this is <laughs> please <laughs> the... bring it. Let's go. So my my first worry with 
the procedure that you guys take, and I think it's a great procedure, great uh, process of, of collecting information. But the first thing that I'm worried about is the reliability. How accurate yep. are you delivering uh, insights and, and numbers, these opportunity score, as you mentioned, how accurate it is? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one, one, um, one of the arguments which I think you'll give me and probably you'll, you'll tell me if it's right or wrong. But there's in, in statistics, there's just the, the law of large numbers, which means that the more people you interview, the more accurate your answers are going to be um, regardless of the population size. So uh, probably like 30,000. So if, you, if you're interviewing 30,001, it doesn't really make any difference at all. So like there's, there's a, a number after X amount that it doesn't really matter how many more you interview, you already <laughs> got your answers. So that's one. But what are your arguments in terms of like protecting the reliability and the accuracy of the data and the insights that you provide? Yeah, absolutely. So one, I mean, we have a lot of different quality measures in place and we uh, have a partnership with, uh, with Dynata, who's a globally recognized panel provider to ensure that all the quotas are met and to ensure that we're bringing in obviously real people who are giving us real answers to their questions. So there's lots that we could get into, but that would be boring to talk about quality assurance and how we do it. I think um, the law of numbers is a, is a really interesting point. So uh, depending on the boardroom, depending who you're talking to, some brands say, you know, they're happy with the sample size of 150 people and they'll extrapolate that and they're fine with that uh, margin of error, right? So it comes down to like willingness or, or, or business risk or what you're comfortable with. A lot of properties and brands will tell us that they want 500 sample uh, as a minimum. A couple of the reasons why we survey more people uh, than arguably we might need to uh, and why we do it consistently are one, Um, we want to get into the minutia. We want to get into the, the depth of the detail to tell you as a brand Budweiser, this is who you should be going after from a sponsorship perspective. You can't do that if you're looking at really small numbers. So we have the ability through the size that we use and the, and the, the number of people that we speak to on a monthly basis to really get deep into uh, specific cuts of data that allow, I think, brands and properties to get a lot more sophisticated with how they go about making their decisions when it comes to sponsorship. The second is things change. Uh, things change a lot in the world of sponsorship. So you look at, you know, I'll, I'll speak to an example here in, uh, in Canada, but the Toronto Raptors from, uh, you know, a performance perspective over the last three years, like we see those curves. So being able to trend that data and showcase how that's, you know, how that's actually coming to life and how it's, um, you know, their performance is actually translating to consumer behavior and attitude Uh, I think is a really critical part of any property's journey, any brand's journey uh, to understand, are they making gains? So a big part of our product and the way that we go about collecting data is to ensure that we can continue to provide that storyline of, is what you're doing working? Or are you making gains with, with the groups of people that you're looking to make gains with? Um, is your property moving in the right direction or not? Which I think, to be honest, um, from, from a lot of what we see around the world in sponsorship, There's a huge lack of, of, of credible, transparent data. In a lot of cases, there are a lot of people that are making, you know, multi-million, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of decisions uh, that, that are doing so not necessarily with data or insight guiding them. So we believe that we are one source of, of data. Uh, we believe, obviously, in the power of leveraging other audience data, whether it be broadcast or social or digital, whatever it may be. Um, but we're really focused on the consumer's perspective. We believe it's a great equalizer. Um, stated behavior, yes, some people will challenge in terms of 
you know, well, is what people tell you they do the same as what they do? Well, you could, you could challenge people on the other side of it too. What people do online or what people search online or who they engage with doesn't necessarily mean that they're passionate or that they care about it or that they're likely to convert towards brands that sponsor that particular property or, uh, or individuals. So I think, you know, we see it as the sum of its parts and we're just really focused on doing uh, the best we can to evolve the, uh, the industry uh, to be more accountable for the amount of money that's being spent, which I think will translate to greater value for consumers and people who are attending, you know, these events or contributing to, you know, the bottom line of a lot of these organizations. I want to hear you from a different perspective. Let's say now you're a brand and I'm sponsor pulse. Okay. Yeah. Um, what would you think are the dangers of making choices or decisions based only on the data me as sponsor uh, sponsor posts provide to you what would you say what what would you push back or what would you say to me because here's what i'm thinking okay keep that story in your mind we're gonna get into that but here's what i'm thinking okay i i, I think that ranking is important but i also think that uh it's not ranking is not the same for uh different companies and brands worldwide and here's here's an example just to see if if, if it makes sense because it's the, the quickest thing that i can think about about but suppose i'm an insurance company in ecuador right that i serve clients in ecuador and i come i come to your website and i come to your uh your service and i see that um the the latest report on uh, marketable properties which we will get into in in a minute uh says that the world cup is the number one uh, event property in the world uh in in the world of sports where which has the most impact and the higher opportunity score right but what what if that doesn't mean that that is the right place for me or the right rank in what in terms of what i'm trying to achieve selling insurance in ecuador so suppose now you are the 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 company selling insurance in ecuador adam um i don't know if you speak spanish but you, we can do this in <laughs> I english don't, unfortunately <laughs> but what would you say are the dangers or or what would you push back in saying okay but but explain to me why or how exactly do do brands and companies need to look at the uh, sponsor polls, right? Um, and, and, see, and, and how would you then advise against, you know, being careful with what the, the opportunity score, what you guys at sponsor polls say may uh, drive uh, wrong decisions for, for those companies and brands? Yeah. So I think there's, uh, I mean, my first challenge as a brand owner would be it's a global list and I'm a local brand or it's a global list. And what does that mean for my particular target or my particular category or my brand? Um, and I think that that's, that's exactly the question that we want people to ask because we have the data to help people get to that more nuanced decision. A global list, no matter how you slice it, is a global list. It's based off of the weighted population of the world and the way the data is coming back. So it's going to be you know, drastically influenced by where most of the population is and some of the properties that do, you know, exceptionally well in those areas. You look at China, Indonesia, India, the US, I mean, they're going to make up the lion's share of it, which is the truth based on population and consumers. So it is a global list. It is intended to provide a snapshot of how properties are growing and who's coming onto the scene, who's you know, cemented their role within the, the consumer's mind 
um, on a global at a global level. But I think the reality is that you've got to get into the nuanced data and get deeper into it to understand specifically where are my insurance consumers, right? And what are the top properties in Ecuador in this particular example? And if I'm targeting, you know, people that are a certain age bracket or a certain household income, we have all of those different layers of data that allow you to get a lot more targeted with the way that you look at your sponsorship portfolio and that allow you to quantify you know, how big is this opportunity? Who are we talking about? How many people are there that meet those criteria in the particular market that you're, uh, that you're active in? Interesting. Interesting. I think I ended up pitching sponsor calls there instead of answering as a brand, <laughs> but, but I think that it was a follow-up question that was coming. So I just beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it, it makes, it makes total sense. Now, one of the things that I've realized from, you know, interviewing tons of uh, founders and CEOs and directors of sports companies is that, the better the question that you make, the better the answer that you're going to get probably in the, in the interview. Now, I want to know how exactly have you iterated over your questions in the questionnaire? Like how important it is for you guys to go back to the questionnaire uh, and and see what questions are driving better answers and then how to like triple tap on those or either change other of your questions. Like just just walk me through the iteration of uh, of improving the product through uh, improving the, the, the source, the main source of inputs that drive your outputs. Yeah, no, it's a really important point. I mean, our parent company, IMI International, uh, is a global marketing uh, research consultancy uh, that's been around for, obviously, for, for, it's been around for 50 years. So, um, you know, uh, our parent company really got started in the sponsorship space over the last 10, 15 years. And then, uh, obviously, three years ago, we decided we decided to start on this path of of creating sponsor pulse. And I think, um, you know, we leveraged the history, the knowledge, the experience from all the different surveys, questionnaires, effectiveness studies that we had done previously for brands across the globe, properties across the, blo the globe. But then there were some underlying key themes that we we knew we needed this methodology to evolve to to deliver against in terms of that level playing field for all different property types. Uh, and we knew that there were certain elements that we wanted to get a better assessment of. So a lot of what we did in the initial early days, uh, and it's not glamorous or sexy, but it's we were back into field on a weekly basis, surveying thousands of people in different markets to see, are we getting differences in, in the responses? Or are we getting consistency in the responses? Or what are the what are the deltas that exist between the different questions that we're asking? So I think you know we spent uh, not only a ton of time historically as a company, but certainly in the early days and the early phases uh, to ensure that we were providing a narrative that made sense for both properties and for brands. And I think and for agencies, obviously, who are kind of in in the middle or representing one side. Like we wanted to be very purposeful with the metrics that we asked. So we wanted to be able to provide a total reach number that isn't just about how many people follow you socially, because that's not reach and it's not just about broadcast. So we've layered in different metrics or different ways of, of qualifying whether people engage with the property that go into, you know, following, uh, following it in news or buying or wearing merch, uh, merchandise or playing fantasy when it comes to sports or volunteering your time or donating money when it comes to causes. So we've been very, I think, intentional with the way that we've looked at the different metrics that make up the composition of our story to say, we can tell you what the total reach and audience is, and we can break that out in terms of how and who you're reaching where. We can then get deeper into who's actually engaging on a frequent basis, you know, intensely on a weekly basis or more with you, which is so important for properties to obviously move the needle on, but also for brands who are looking for properties that are going to offer them a lot of different opportunities to connect with consumers 
We look at momentum. Are you growing? Are you not? There's a lot of really fascinating things that come out of that when we look at the progress um, of different uh, properties across the spectrum. Uh, and then when it comes to emotion, we looked at both sides, right? We saw that there's a, there's a very significant difference between passion for a property and excitement for a property. And those things, uh, excitement changes really quick. Passion takes time, right? You got to sustain that excitement level if you're going to drive a passionate base and continue to build, um, build against that. And then the impact metric at the end of the day was like, what does it all, what does it all mean for, for a brand who's spending or who's being asked to spend, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorship. I mean, we got to have a way to get down from, you know, this, this approach that I think has been, I think it's been changing quite drastically over the last several years, but it used to be, well, you know, your total reach is going to be hundreds of millions of people. And we're going to give you, you know, billion impressions across every channel. And that's great. But really at the end of the day, how many people are we talking about impacting through this particular property or the sponsorship? And we have a way, a reputable, credible way um, that, you know, a property or a brand can say, okay, I understand the total size of the opportunity, but for my category or for my specific brand or for my specific demographic, like how many people at the end of the day are we talking about impacting? And that's a far more rational and important conversation, which also steers, you know, a lot of the other outputs of, of that decision, which is how do we activate? How do we execute? How are we going to prove the return on our investment? So uh, I think that's a bit of kind of the logic and, and what it took to get down to seven metrics, which we don't think is overkill. We don't think it's too many, um, but we know that people are, are strapped for time. So we wanted to simplify, create that funnel so that people could look at properties in one consistent way uh, across the globe and, uh, and obviously really get down to the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, who are we, who are we talking about impacting at the end of the day? And the seven metrics are, can you just mention them really quickly? Yeah. So top of the funnel engagement, total reach, uh, below that intensity is among those who are engaged, who is engaging with the property weekly or more. Uh, it's a great proxy for fandom. Um, momentum is people who are engaging with you currently, who, believe that their interest, expect their interest in you to grow over the next 12 months. So it's a great predictor of, of where a property is going, passion, excitement, and then uh, potential impact on uh, purchase consideration, and then potential impact on, um, on favorability um, for brands that are sponsoring properties. Awesome. Awesome. Man, you, you mentioned so many awesome takeaways. Um, but one that I really want to repeat and distill for everyone listening is Uh, specifically for startups that are starting or that are building a product or a service that aims to uh, solve a, a, a need or a problem in the future. I see in you guys a, a very important element of it that it's, it's change. It's basically to change and adapt and follow the trends and follow what's, what's going on you know, in the markets and in, in the industries, in sports, and in, in, you know, in everything that, that's going on, you know, as you mentioned, crypto and, and, and other like areas, can, cannabis and stuff. Being, being there and, being, and staying up to date, that is probably the number one indicator of, of a startup or a company that means that it will eventually prevail and survive. Because I feel like it, with no change, if you just would have created just one, you know, simple questionnaire and would have used the same one every single time, you probably would have gotten, you know, similar results over and over again. And even though the world is changing, you are not changing. So you're staying behind. So I, I just wanted to, you know, rename, re, re, go over again, review that, that idea again, uh, as you mentioned that, and which I think is super interesting and valuable for, uh, startups and companies that are, are starting. Um, but 
before we finish, I, I just want to cover real quick um, the the latest report you guys released uh, a few weeks ago, um, the top 50 uh, most marketable sports uh, properties report. Um, what are some of the results that surprised you um, from from this 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 year's report or this one compared to, to, to the last one, the previous? Is there any one or two things that you were like, oh, that's interesting? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that we can dig into in terms of like the nuances of the list. Um, I think the first thing that kind of hit us in the face was the top five properties from last year are the exact same this year. Um, and so I think that that speaks volumes to, you know, the 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 role that these properties have cemented in in the global uh, sports space. And that would be, you know, number one was FIFA. Uh, then you've got the Olympic Games then you've got NBA. Then you've got Real Madrid. Then you've got Barcelona. I think that, you know, it just it shows just the power of those properties on a global scale, which is just like fascinating. Um, I think, you know, the other un underlying themes, if you will, 22 of the top 50 were, were football leagues, teams, tournaments. Um, so there's no question, when I say football, I know I'm from Canada, soccer is what I mean. Um, but there's no question it is the global game. However, uh, there are a lot of properties that are popping up in other, in other sports that I think are, are, are going to start. They're already starting. Uh, to challenge, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the top, the top properties. So whether it be table tennis, whether it be badminton, whether it be volleyball, there's a lot of different properties that are popping up that are, that are making uh, some, some important gains. I think year over year UFC and the, uh, the Indian premier league posted the, the largest gains versus last year, moving more than 12, 12 spots respectively uh, in the list, which is amazing to see. I think it shows obviously how some of from the cricket perspective, how they're growing into a really global, truly global brand uh, or global sport. And UFC is that, is that think, the big know, is is that the biggest riser, the most uh, the one that changed spots the most? Is that exactly? I, feel like I, I I've I've heard more of it lately, so I would guess that's the mo the biggest riser. That is it. Yeah. So IPL and, and UFC both were were pretty much neck and neck in terms of rising versus last year. And I think UFC's like, I mean, they've done an exceptional job building, you know, uh, personalities, which is largely due to obviously the personalities and, and the athletes that are in the ring. But uh, I think they've done an amazing job at globalizing their sport um, and uh, and obviously delivering something that's entertaining. Uh, but that also, you know, just profiles just an incredible uh, athleticism, uh, whether you like or appreciate the UFC or not, you kind of have to stare at it in awe or at least look look away in awe at, at what they've done. And then one of the last things I'd say, um, not last thing, there's a couple of things. One other thing, uh, women's sports, no question. Uh, the fact that there's five of them in the top 75, because we do have the top 100 list available uh, for download online. Um, it's just like, it's amazing to me. It's It's about it's about damn time that, that they get the respect that they deserve and the exposure that they deserve. Um, we know, and we have the data women's sports is something that everybody wants. Males are actually the biggest consumers of, of women's sport. Um, so I think it's uh, it's something that we're going to continue to see these, these properties uh, rise. Uh, and then the last kind of thing that popped up, uh, there were six motorsport, uh, you know, properties and racing teams uh, among them that, that uh, that were on the or within the top 50 so a number of them new based off of new tracking that we have for some of mm -hmm. the racing teams specifically but um you know ferrari uh was just outside the top 10 which is pretty fascinating when you wow. think of who they're up against uh so uh, i think some really interesting things to dig into um that uh you know we encourage people to challenge man i'm curious which which uh properties are the biggest losers tennis 
uh, tennis. All, oh, all, wow. all four grand slams. Um, so okay. yeah, so tennis, uh, all dropped pretty significantly versus last year. So, uh, they're the ones that dropped the most. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we can diagnose that and get into like specifically what country was it that drove the, the decrease. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, they hurt the most on, uh, on this year's list. Uh, the Chicago Bulls dropped significantly. I mean, you know, as an American team to be relevant globally, I think it's still a massive achievement. Um, yeah. But you know, they had the the next Netflix documentary last year, and and yeah. and, uh, and less news this year. Uh, but I think it's really important. That, you know, we we keep seeing the cross section of sport with music, with entertainment, with cause, and brands. You know, being a part of that journey is where we're start, where, where we're seeing a ton of um, you know progress and I think success because people are looking for that content in different formats and different storylines, different narratives than just the live yeah. sport itself. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, shakes out. I saw that uh, Jason Sudeikis of Ted Lasso, I think is doing something in partnership yeah. with Real Madrid. So I'm like, there's some really oh, cool nice. innovation happening in the space. That's, you know, bringing people from entertainment and sport and music and whatever it may be kind of all together, yeah. uh, which I think uh, consumers are responding really well to. Interesting. Is there anything that you, that, you learned or one specific fact about fans or about the 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 behavioral behavioral element of the of the people really following those properties and being engaged by those properties is there anything specific that you saw that that popped the eye yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of things one of one of the things that i find the most uh the most fascinating is that like on average from our global studies we know that uh the average individual will consume north of 19 different properties in a year. So I think we, we, we often talk about, you know, a soccer fan or a football fan or a hockey fan or whatever it may be. Um, there is so much content out there. There are so many different ways for people to engage with different properties, whether they're in sport or beyond sport. And so I think the, you know, the, the thought or the general premise that, you know, you're dedicated to only one sport and that's all that you're going to be interested in is just flawed. Um, <laughs> and I think as a result, you know, a lot of brands are looking for ways to diversify their portfolios and look at properties outside of sport to, you know, get another hit and to be able to connect with people in other ways. Um, but definitely something that I think is just important to remind ourselves that, like we're all people at the end of the day, right? Um, whenever there's something entertaining that we can, that we can, you know, spend some time and, and engage with and, and feel like we've gotten something out of, we're, we're going to take those opportunities. Um, so I think it's, uh, uh, it's an interesting thing to, to continue to, to, to track and to, to remind ourselves of. Man, this has been so interesting. I think we're going to need another halftime snack to <laughs> go over more of the, the questions. And, but at the same time, it's super interesting. Um, man, but before, before I let you go, before we wrap this up, I just want to ask you a last one and, and more personal question, man. Uh, what's the book you've recommended the most? Ah, that's a, a, really, <laughs> a really good one. Um, depends on the day, to be honest, of what, uh, what I've read latest, <laughs> but free was a book, I guess from like 2009. Um, but I think it was, uh, it's a really interesting read around, uh, the premise of, uh, freemium business models and talk about Gmail versus Yahoo and how, you know, they went about, uh, went about their, their little battle. Um, it also is funny to reread from, uh, from that long ago because, uh, some of the conclusions that they drew certainly aren't true today. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a really interesting, um, there's a really interesting thing going on in the world around like information and access to information to data. Obviously we're at, 
you know, uh, at one particular cross-section of that. And I think that there's a really interesting dynamic between information being available freely to people um, and then, you know, the scarcity of certain information being something that is obviously of, of great value. And I think um, for us, it's something that we continue to revisit and think about and talk about as a team because, you know, we've, we've tried to build a model, I think we've successfully built a model that's, uh, that makes data and the insights that you need to make good sound business decisions, we've made it accessible at the price point that we make it uh, available at. Um, but we're continuously looking for ways to obviously improve accessibility to data because we believe at the end of the day, um, you know, if people have the right information at their fingertips, it's transparent, it's open to, to all parties, uh, people will make better decisions, which is gonna lead to better value at the end of the day for, for brands, properties, and more importantly, for people who are consuming brands and properties. Man, it's fascinating to hear you speak. I, as I told you in the beginning, you speak like a consultant and <laughs> speak so much clarity. And you uh, is that a good? Is that a good? Yeah, thing yeah. You speak with so much clarity, <laughs> and and your thoughts are so organized, man. And I'm I'm amazed by that, man. I can't thank you enough for coming to the halftime snacks. It has been man such a wonderful time. I barely even realized that uh, we're well over the limit, but I I didn't care because it was so fun, man. I appreciate you coming and sharing with us everything from insights and your story and your experience. And thank you so much, man, for coming. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye-bye.